Tonight, a worrying picture is emerging on the impact of the pandemic on our mental health. A worsening mental health crisis among young people. Mental health issues were magnified. Mental health problems. Unprecedented mental health crisis. Huge toll on mental health. Impact on our mental health. Warning of a youth mental health crisis. A new advisory on a growing youth mental health crisis. up oasis people man oh that is that is poor that is poor i said what up hey that's what i'm talking about thank you for being here thank you for turning up like look at us this is awesome i'm so glad and like dylan was saying i every week i pray and i believe god is here in this place and he's moving and he wants to move within his people but there is something about tonight that I have just been expectant for our leadership team. We've been praying for it. It's been on our calendar. It's been circled. It's been starred. And we are here. And so we're going to dive right in. And, and we are in a brand new series called Software Update. And for most of you, that means absolutely nothing. You're wondering, how the heck are they going to tie this into mental health? But for me, that, that analogy actually sings to my soul. Because it comes from a book by David Marvin, who is the pastor of the porch down in Texas. And in the first couple chapters of this book, he breaks down what is the analogy of software update. Because he starts to compare the human brain to a computer. And when we have computers, we know, like a lot of us, whether we work or do schoolwork on computers, they can break. And it's always the worst day ever that your computer breaks. Like the papers do, the assignments do, like the project needs to get turned in and the computer breaks. And when the computer breaks, there's usually one of two things that goes on. The first one is it could be a hardware thing, that physically something broke within the computer. Like your screen's not working, your keys won't type, your battery won't stay charged. That's a hardware update. The second thing that can sometimes happen with computers is they can have software problems. And that becomes where the codes or the programming that are within the computer no longer are functioning the way they're supposed to, and instead it's giving you errors and it's sending you to the wrong screens and it's not loading stuff and you have software problems. And the human brain can work kind of like that, but I really want us to grasp what happens if we don't understand the difference between these two. So when I was a senior, <clears throat> I lived with a bunch of guys in, in an apartment, and it was awesome. It was a ton of fun. But one guy, he didn't live with us, but he felt like he lived with us. He would show up. He'd sleep on the couch. He was always there. I'm pretty sure he was drinking my milk, but I can't really prove it. And he would always be there. And this guy, I loved him. He was awesome. Such a, such a cool dude. But he didn't understand the difference between software and hardware. Because one day he was typing on his computer, and it stopped working. Like, it wouldn't pull up this, on the screen the thing he wanted. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get frustrated with technology, I might give it like a little tap or like I'll blow on it or something like that. Somehow that helps. Like I'll maybe turn my phone off, turn it back on. Like I do some physical things to see if the software will fix. Not this dude. He punched his screen. I kid you not. And everybody looked at him in the room. We're like, what? What are you doing? And he just ate it up. And he, he at this point, his computer was destroyed. And he just repeatedly started smashing his screen because it wouldn't work. But he didn't recognize that the problem he had was software, but he kept trying to solve it by a hardware issue. And this is what happens sometimes with mental health, is we don't understand that there could be two different realms happening here. And even sometimes these realms overlap. That with the human brain, there can be this struggle that is a chemical makeup issue. That it becomes a physical, biological problem. 
And that is where doctors need to get involved. That's where medication can be incredibly helpful. That is where I am not qualified to speak. But where I am qualified to speak is when we start to talk about some software stuff. That in software issues, we can experience struggles that are mental, that from, come from spiritual or, phys- or psychological reasons. That the programming in our heads sometimes can get thrown off. That the codes we're running, the thought patterns we get stuck in, that these can lead us to a place where all of a sudden as people, we're just not functioning the way we're meant to. And that's the analogy David Marvin starts to walk out on this book. And that's where we're going to continue to speak for the rest of this series. That as much as I wish I could diagnose people, as much as I wish I could treat them and help every single person who comes to me, I'm not qualified for that. That's why we have doctors we can love and trust. And also, you, you should go see a counselor. Like if there's a serious mental health issue, go see counselors. They are incredible gifts from God to help people. You should tell someone. You should get community around you. If you're sitting here tonight thinking, I have this struggle, tell someone. Don't leave this place without telling someone. But the last area that we get to kind of step in here is God's word has a ton to say here. And it might actually look crazily different than you would think. That God's word wants to teach us what it looks like to adjust our thought patterns and learn how to think a new way. And to do that, we're going to open up the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, open up to Philippians 4. And I would tell you, if you have a phone, I usually don't like you pulling out your phone because you get distracted. But I trust you, so stay locked in. Philippians 4, if you have a phone, because it's going to be really important that I think you have the text in front of you and you can access it. It's going to be on the screen, but if you have access to it, go ahead and do that. And in this, Paul, the author of the book of Philippians, is going to give us some new code. Some new ways to think that are going to help us to get out of the negative thinking patterns and to find healing. So as you open up, I'm going to pray quick. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for Paul and his faithfulness to pen this down. I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive what you have for us. Would you speak through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 4, starting in verse 6, we're going to read through verse 9 but in chunks. So Philippians 4, starting in verse 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Paul starts and he says, do not be anxious about anything. And some of us, (laughs) Paul is off to quite the start that we even are maybe starting to lock up, like get some tight fists, like start to get a little bit uncomfortable because what Paul said for some of us in the room is actually kind of offensive. That maybe we've been someone who's struggled with mental health in the past. We've had issues with anxiety and we've opened up to a a teacher, a a friend, a family member, maybe even someone we, we just really thought a pastor we could trust. And they turned back to us and they said what Paul said. They said, just, just don't be anxious. Just don't worry about it. Just stop being anxious. Stop worrying about it. And in those moments, maybe you got the tight fist, you got a little frustrated, you started to tense up, you started to close down. Because oftentimes on the other end of that advice, we don't understand. Like people can't necessarily get in your shoes and understand the very thing you're going through. And so when they well-intentioned people say stuff like, hey, just don't be anxious, they're thinking, hey, it's just like a switch. Just, I know you're struggling right now, but just turn it off. Just turn it off. Just don't be anxious. Just, just dim it down. Just, just try, try harder. Try to do better. Have more faith. Pray a little more. But does that help? And so we come into this space and we're like, okay, mental health series. I'm really excited to see what Brennan has to say. He's going to open up God's word. And Paul starts and he says, 
do not be anxious. He adds on that little piece about anything. For us to understand what Paul is saying here, for us to start to shake out some of that tension and to really dive into God's word, we have to understand exactly what he's saying. Because if we bring our own preconceived notions and we bring our hurt and our pain to the text in these moments, we're going to miss what God has for us. Because when Paul originally wrote this in Philippians 4, he would have wrote it in the language that he was fluent in, which was Greek. And as he wrote it in the Greek, he would have wrote this word for anxiety that's merimnao. That's the word he used. Many of us probably have no idea what that means. And that's why it's so difficult for us to read this verse. But when we were to translate that word merimnao, actually it means do not dwell on anxious thoughts. That merimnao has this root that is the same as meditate or to murmur. And so what Paul is saying, if I were to rewrite this verse of, of the text, I would tell you that Paul is saying, do not dwell on anxious thoughts. Even better, he says, do not dwell on any anxious thoughts. That this is where Paul leads us in the text. And it's so good because I remember a time where I was at a a haunted house. And that was like, I was like pre-Christian. Come on, like we we wouldn't go to haunted house. Just kidding, we can choke a little bit. Like, it's okay. I hate haunted houses. I don't know why you would like them. I don't like scary movies. But I went peer pressure to this haunted house. And I was in there and I was walking. And I tell you what, every single corner had a clown. Like every single corner, someone was dying or about to get killed. There was blood and nasty. I don't do gore well. It was disgusting. My heart rate was off the charts. Every single moment of that was terrible for me. I was scared, terrified. And I remember somewhere in that haunted house, one of my buddies, one of the ones that peer pressured me, he came up and he nudged me and he said, hey, just don't be scared. (laughs) I about knocked the buddy out on the spot. Like, I'm telling you, my body was having this reaction to the very place I was in. He didn't understand that for me it wasn't a choice. But Paul understands. He understands that the emotions that you're struggling with, the feelings that are coming up, the very feeling of anxiety, he understands, but he doesn't want us to stay there. He says, don't dwell there. That anxiety, when it's talked about the Bible, is always addressing when we dwell on anxious thoughts, not just when we have them. It's very clear over and over and over again, it will tell us and it will lead us to this idea that it is okay to have an anxious thought. That we need to hear that in the church over and over. It's okay. It is okay to have an anxious thought. That actually, I think we were designed that way. That there are these emotions, these feelings we go through as as humans, like fear or hunger or anxiety, that when in their healthiness, they're meant to protect us. That when we're scared, it's supposed to lead us to something. When we're anxious, it's supposed to help us to not be in that situation, to be able to deliver ourselves out of there, to be able to find peace. However, the problem comes when we get stuck in there. When we start to dwell, we make our camp in anxiety. We get stuck and we're murmuring and meditating and the things running through our mind are just anxious. Paul tells us there's nothing There is absolutely nothing that you should dwell on in anxiety. This last week, we put out an Instagram poll, and we asked the question, what makes you anxious? And a ton of people flooded in, and they asked, said a bunch of stuff, and I just want to read you a little bit of what they said. That as a people, as the Oasis family, these are some of the things that make us anxious. School, the future, 
friends, family, sports, new experiences, the unknown, uncertainty, plans falling through, God's plan, comparison, time management, busyness, schedules, struggling in our faith, work, money, drama, daily things, inadequacy, exams, things ending, or bad things happening. And that list was cut short from the responses we got. And the reason I wanted you to speak here and not me is because those are your peers around you. That the beauty of what we just read there is if you submitted one of those things or you're sitting out there today, studies show you are not alone. That's not mine. That's, that's you. That's us. We get anxious over these things. And we are not alone. But God... He doesn't want us to stay there. God actually wants something better for us. I want to say it one more time. You can't prevent the thoughts that come into your mind. It's impossible. But you can change how you respond to them. So don't dwell there. Don't set up your camp in anxious thinking. Instead, we start to learn a new way. And it's actually vital we do learn this. Because I don't know what people have told you, but this isn't going away. As much as we want, as much as we want to try to not have anxious thoughts anymore, they're not going away. That as you get older, it's not like they just magically disappear. But the beautiful part of that is, if we can recognize what Paul is teaching here in the word of God, that we can actually define healing in a, in a new and better way. That healing is no longer not have, ever having an anxious thought. Healing becomes this process where when we have an anxious thought, we know what to do with it. That God's truth, his way and his spirit is informing us, teaching us how to live. Going back to verse 6, Paul says, But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here he has used the first of three connecting words. He says, but. But is a contradictory word. Because previously Paul has told us what not to do. Remember, don't dwell in anxious thoughts. Instead, now he's going to tell us what to do. And Paul has told us three prayer practices that he wants us to function in. But before he tells you that, I want you to see exactly what he means here. That when Paul tells us what to do, he tells us to present our requests to God. The ESV version of the Bible will say, let your requests be made known. And so I have some balloons up here. And these balloons are meant to represent anxiety. So like this one's maybe school and the test we have for school. And this one's like relationships and this one's friendships and this one's family and this one's, uh, yeah, we'll do work here. And, uh, and uh, this one's probably sports and physical fitness. And uh, yeah, oh, 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 oh. And this one, oh yeah, so that one's going to be, yeah, so this is daily life with anxiety, right? Right? Like, it's, it's fine. Like, I'm fine. Like, everybody's like, Midwest, how are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm good. I'm doing good. Yeah. Things are great. Yeah. Praise God. Things are good. But like, every, we're like, yeah. Uh, and what Paul says, he says, let it go. It's time to start to let the anxiety go. And he gives us these words, maybe. <laughs> And he gives us these words of what it looks like to pray. And that's what he's taught us. That in the midst of everything we carry, 
in the midst of a world that is broken that inherently stirs anxiety within us as we pick up balloon after balloon and as we try to go through our daily lives and we try to just put it all together and we try to put our nose to the grindstone and we try to just push through because tomorrow will be better and we try to hide it and we answer good and we tell people and we're around but it's not really like we told people and like, uh, it's, we're not really getting to that. We're not. Paul says, let it go to God. I love the imagery of the balloons because the balloons that were full of helium, they have a natural inclination to rise. They want to go up. I find our anxiety is the same way. That when it's in us, it wants to go out of us. It wants to rise to God. And so the ESV version says, let it. Let it go to God. And he gives us three ways to do that. The first prayer practice that Paul gives us comes straight from verse 6. And he says the word prayer. And then he defines it as talking with God. Don't write this off. There can be these pithy statements out there that come sometimes from the church when it comes to mental health. Pray more. Have more faith. Try harder. Stop sinning. That's not what this is. When Paul tells us prayer, when he tells us to talk with God, this is incredible. That first, do you recognize what, what prayer is? That prayer is this connection you have to the God of all the universe, the creator of everything. That as you speak, you have the very ear of a God who is all present, all knowing, all powerful, eternal, and loving. That is who listens to your prayer. That is who, who we get to speak to in prayer. That is an incredible gift. There's tangibility there when we start to pray like that. And every time I, I've tried to say this, I think I've done it okay tonight, I've tried to be intentional with those words. Because too often we view prayer as talking to God. But we've already lost something if we, we change that simple word. That prayer is talking with God. Where yes, we speak and we bring him everything that our life is, is we're dealing with, the highs and the lows, and we, we pour it out and we tell him what we need and what we want. But prayer, real, true, authentic prayer, stops and listens. And it says, God, speak to me. What would you say about my life, my situation, my anxiety. One of the things as I was reflecting is one of the hardest parts I find for anxiety for me, at least when I was really struggling with it, <clears throat> is oftentimes I didn't even know why I was anxious. I will wake up and my chest hurt and I was anxious. Nothing even had happened yet. I just woke up. And I, I would go through my day and I'd be having a great day. Things would be going great. And I'd be walking through Target and I just get anxious. I can feel it in my gut. It starts to go up to my chest and it gets tight. And I get, it, it, if you haven't experienced it, maybe you don't know, but it, it's, it's so weird and hard. And then I'd go to sleep and I'd lay my head on my pillow and all I wanted to do was cash out after a long day and the mind just would start running. And it would run and run and run and I don't even know why I'm anxious in those moments. And for me, and what I think Paul would tell us, is prayer becomes the space where we process all of that with God. That as we speak to him, we tell him, 
truthfully, I'm anxious. God, would you help me? Would you let me see the root of this? Because too often we just start treating symptoms. We just want to not feel the things we're feeling, but we don't actually want to get to the root and figure out why, why are we anxious? What's the cause of this? What's the struggle here? But in the safety of, of who God is, we can process that. And this is actually so powerful that in the 90s, culture started doing this too. That in 1990, there was this mindfulness uh, uh, practice that started to really come on the scene. Many of us probably have known about it because for the last 30 years, it's continued to just gain prominence. That mindfulness.com has the slogan, that mindfulness meditation, the process of getting away by yourself and thinking about what you're thinking about, helps you become aware, it helps you to process life, and it helps you to filter your feelings. They said that in the 90s. Paul has been teaching that for over 2,000 years. Christians just call it prayer. Paul's version is actually better than that. Do you recognize prayer becomes the space where we take all of what we feel, all of what we experience, all of what we struggle with, and we bring it to God. And mindfulness will do it on your own merit, on your own skill, on your own intellect, on your own gifting, and it says, I'm going to figure this out. Prayer becomes, I bring all that to the table, and an all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, eternal God meets me there. That's the first prayer practice Paul gives us. It's just prayer, talking with God. The second one is this, it's petition, or the ESV Bible of the, will say supplication. And this is where we ask God for something. As people, we, we need to recognize we have needs and we cannot meet all those needs. And that is okay. Actually, it's really liberating to say that. And instead, we can ask God for those very things. So I want to ask you this question, and I'm going to give it just like a little bit to murmur. What do you need when you're dealing with anxiety? What is it? What do you need? Ask God for that. Say it to him. Speak it to him. Listen to what he might respond and be okay with the way that he responds. Because God will always give you what you need. It just might not always look like what you want. The third prayer practice Paul gives us is that of thanksgiving. It's where we express gratitude. That gratitude is this Latin word gratia. And gratia, it, it, it translates better to say like grace. Because gratitude prayer at its, at its most beautiful, purest form is when we recognize God's grace and his goodness in our lives and we thank him for it. That we come back to him and we just speak that to him. That we see the places in our past that God has been good and faithful and we thank him. It can be that simple because that reorients us. It will shrink our problems. It will remember his past faithfulness. It can even launch us into a place where at one point we felt peace and joy and maybe through God's grace we would experience peace and joy again and it, and it helps us to see others again too. The gratitude is incredibly powerful. Last year, Harvard Medical School conducted a study and what they did is they took three different groups of people and all three of these groups of people did the same thing but with a slight twist. That the first group of people for 10 weeks 
Every single day, they wrote five statements about the previous day, but their statements were positive. The second group of people, same thing. Every day, five statements, but their group, they wrote negative statements of the day before. The last group, they wrote for 10 weeks every single day, and they wrote five statements about the previous day, but they were inherently neutral. They didn't make them feel positive or negative. After 10 weeks, you know what Harvard found? That significantly, the group that had written the five statements every single day of positivity felt better about their lives and more optimistic about the future. Harvard finished this study, and Harvard now is a secular school, but they finished the study and they said one of the best things you could do to cultivate gratitude was to pray, to recognize a higher being and to express gratitude to him. And so gratitude prayer is something we can practice every single day. It actually can become pretty easy. That every day, you just write a list of three to five things or people that you're thankful for. That maybe it requires you buying a notebook or just getting a sheet of paper and then sit there in the morning and don't leave until you can write three to five things or people you're grateful for. And let that be a moment of prayer. Through these three, Paul gives us an incredible way where we can step into a healthier thinking habit. That instead of dwelling on anxious thoughts, we start to talk with God. Instead of dwelling there, we start to petition and really ask him for things. And instead of dwelling, we express gratitude. And that's all in verse six. Verse seven starts and it says this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here, Paul has used his second connecting word. He says the word and. But here, and is not just another step for us to do. Instead, and becomes a result of the prior work. And the result is the very peace of God. But what is peace? Right? Like, I think in this room, we could probably throw out 300 different answers of what peace is. Like, it's such a moving target, and it feels different for everyone. Like, is it, is it inner fulfillment? Is it lack of worry? Is it freedom from, from, from stress? Like, is it just tranquility and serenity? Like, what, what, what is peace to you? Scripture defines peace over and over again, not just as a feeling. Instead, it describes peace as a person, and this person is the Holy Spirit. That the peace talked about here in Philippians 4, 7 is God's very presence. The Holy Spirit as counselor who will help us as we wrestle with these things. The Holy Spirit as comforter who will come and draw near to us as we struggle. As guide who will help our mind and our feet to walk clearly into what God has for us. That Galatians 5, Paul describes the Holy Spirit's very presence in our lives as peace. That is incredible because peace is better than just a momentary feeling when we get it from God. It's his very presence. It's who he is. But this peace Paul describes, it actually, it can be really confusing. That's why Paul describes it as transcending understanding. Because 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul writes something like this. He tells us the Holy Spirit actually dwells inside us. <laughs> I don't, Sometimes I like try not to think too hard about what's actually going on here. I'll have people come ask, they're like, how does the Holy Spirit physically like get in me? Like, do I need to like shift some things around? Like, am am I need to go like keto diet? Like, how do I get the Holy Spirit like up, up in me? Like, and I'm like, oh, like, please, like, let's, let's think. I don't know. I don't know. Don't do that stuff. Whatever you just said. But I don't, I, I truly, I don't know. 
Like physically, I don't know how the Holy Spirit lives in me physically. I could probably conjecture with you, but here's what I do know. That if the Holy Spirit as the presence and the person of God lives in me, I will cling to that beautiful promise. Because that promise tells me that no matter where I go, no matter what situation I find myself in, and no matter what I feel there, God's peace is in me. The second thing that transcends understanding and can get really complicated when it comes to the Holy Spirit and peace is John 16, 33. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. They'll put it up on the screen for you. But Jesus tells us, he says, you, I will give you peace, but it's because this world will give you trouble. And this is the part I also don't always understand. That I have seen Christians do some crazy things when they get health diagnoses that make no sense. And that they would crush they would crush other people, but a Christian somehow, somehow has peace. Or I'll, I'll see people lose loved ones, and in the middle of loss, that Christian somehow has peace. I'll see them lose friends, family, jobs, futures, and there's peace there. And people will come and say, how do you describe that? <laughs> I don't have words for that. But what I do tell you is I'm clinging to the person of the Holy Spirit who promises to bring peace. So that if I ever find myself in the situations which Jesus promised me I would, I would be able to experience peace. Verse 8, Paul continues and he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Here Paul uses his final connecting word, which is finally. That he actually gives us the concluding step of what it looks like to fight for peace. And what Paul is teaching here is actually like groundbreaking. It, it, is, it is unreal what Paul is about to say. But here, let me just say it to you. What Paul is telling us is he's telling us to think on the things of God. No, maybe you didn't hear me. Okay, what Paul is telling us is he's telling us to think on the things of God. All right, you, you are not catching it. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. Here, let's see, let's see what happens here. In 1960s, the psychiatrist Aaron Beck came up with this groundbreaking idea. It's since been called cognitive behavioral therapy. It's labeled CBT. Since then... CBT has been one of the most prominent and successful treatment patterns for people struggling with mental health issues. CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, is founded on several core principles, including mental health problems such as anxiety are based in part on faulty or unhelpful ways of thinking. I feel like I've heard that. Otherwise, it says people suffering with mental health problems can actually learn better ways of coping. If I was going to sum this up for you, Aaron Beck in 1960s came up with this philosophy that said people who struggle with anxiety and other mental health problems often get stuck in negative patterns. And oftentimes they can learn healthier ways to think. This came about in the 60s. And for the last 60 years, 
it's been one of the most successful and, and greatest gifts to people to help them struggle with when they're struggling. But Paul said the same thing in AD 62. Paul told us to stop dwelling in the negative patterns of thinking when it comes to anxiety. He actually told us a better way, a healthier way, a new way to use our thoughts. He told us to pray, to practice these three types of prayer. And then he gave us another step on top of us, and he told us a new, better, healthier way to think. He told us to think on that which is true, that which is noble, that which is right, that's what's pure, that's what's admirable, that's what's lovely, that's what's excellent, that's what's praiseworthy. Think on those things. Paul told us to think on the things of God, and that is revolutionary. 2,000 years before CBT, Paul was teaching this in the word of God. And it's still just as incredible. And I don't teach that to, to hate on counseling because I am an advocate for everything. Like, I am so grateful that the secular word world has come to this. But man, is the word of God good. These negative patterns, these schemas we can get stuck in, we can actually turn them into something good. Paul repeated this idea throughout the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, he told us to take our thoughts captive and destroy arguments that go against God's word. Otherwise, in Romans 12.2, he told us to renew our minds and live lives of worship. Those are CBT lived out 2,000 years ago. I want to role play this for a second. Because what's what's happening here is is incredible and I really, really desperately want us to grasp it. So let's, let's, let's make up a situation. Imagine there is a guy and a girl, and they are in a long-term relationship. That they, they think they're soulmates, they, they believe they're going to get married, they probably have told each other, I love you, a long time ago. They've consistently been dating, like their future is locked and loaded together. And they break up. And when they break up, there's a lot of hurt and pain there. In that hurt and that pain mixes in some anxiety and some stress and some worry and some other maybe mental health issues because they look back over the relationship and they feel like, oh, I just wasted all this time. And then they look forward into their life and they think, there's probably no one else for me. Like this was the one, I, I messed it up, I ruined it. And we get down this negative thinking loop that says, if there's no one for me, I'll probably never get married. If I never get married, I'm never having kids. If I never have kids, I'll never have grandkids. If I never have grandkids, I'm dying alone. (laughs) And it sounds silly, but we get there. That's what it looks like to get stuck in a negative feedback loop. What it looks like to struggle through anxiety and some mental health. What Paul would tell you is first he would say, stop dwelling there. Next, he would give you the three ways to practice prayer. And the final thing is he would tell you to think on the things of God which looks like this. Paul would tell you to think about what is true. And what is true is there probably is someone else out there for you. He would tell you to think on what's noble. Something that would be noble to think in that situation, when, hey, there's good times ahead. Like, God has good things for me. Think on what is right. What is right in this scenario is you are sufficient on your own. That you don't need a significant other to fulfill you or to make you complete. That you, because of who you are and because God has created you to be that person, you are sufficient. That's what's right. He would tell you to think on what's lovely. Would you recognize that you still have people who love you, who are in your life and who care for you? Think on what is admirable. An admirable question in this situation would say, how can I use my singleness to glorify God and build his kingdom? 
And finally, he would tell you to think on what is excellent and praiseworthy. The best thing you can think in this situation, the best way to get you out of the negative feedback loop is to say, God is still good. That I know I'm stuck here. I know I feel the pain and the hurt. I'm anxious. I'm overwhelmed. But God is still good. In this scenario, we can play it out in school, in sickness, in death, and and, and all kinds of hardship. And here's the final kicker. That in verse 9a, Paul tells us, whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. And he pushes us towards actually applying this stuff. Up here I have a stack of books. All of these are incredible. If you're ever looking for a resource, I'd love to plug you in. These are all books that I read preparing for this series. But every single one of these, oftentimes when I have people come and and ask to read a book or to find a resource, the thing we're not struggling with is more information. That we're actually struggling with just application. That we know what we could do. We know the steps to take, but we're just not taking them. And I don't want to shame here because I know it's hard. I have been there. I have walked along others when it's hard. But Paul has given us a way to fight, to fight for peace. In this world, our flesh and our enemy, they all stand against you and they never want you to achieve peace. Verse 9b, Paul finishes and he says, and the God of peace will be with you. That as much as I love books and teachings and practices and ideas, as Christians, our peace is always rooted back in God. We have a heavenly father who loves you. We have a savior who died for you. We have a Holy Spirit who empowers you. And that is so good. Now, I know you're sick of listening to me. So I have asked a friend to shoot a video to tell you a little bit about her her story. Hey, Oasis fam. My name is Ashley. Um, I'm on leadership, but I really just wanted to hop on today to talk about what my journey with mental health and faith has looked like since coming to college. So my freshman year, I came in and I just started to place really unrealistic expectations upon myself, both academically and socially. Like, I had a really tough course load and I was trying to be involved in everything I could. Um, But as I started to fail those expectations, I started to let myself down let myself down and I just struggled just knowing there was an emptiness that was filling me. And so as that emptiness grew, I started to isolate a little bit and it brought me to kind of a scary place, which really got me to seek counseling first. And when I went to counseling, it was really great. Like my counselor was awesome and she did everything she could have done. But in our last session together, she asked if she could pray for me. And my response was no. And when I reflect back on that response and why I said no, it was just because I was denying my relationship with Christ at that point because I couldn't believe God would lead me down that road and just leave me there. Because I was really at one of my lowest points that I'd ever been. Um, And so over the summer, I took some time to reflect on why I said no and like what that meant to me because I knew that really wasn't me and I knew that wasn't the truth. Like God doesn't leave you there. And so I decided my sophomore year when I came back that I would start attending Oasis regularly. Um, I went to Sunday morning church, I went to Oasis, and I even plugged into a small group. And all those things really helped me because they were pushing the truths and the promises that the Lord has for us out to me. Um, But I noticed some radical change on my own and when I was really in silence with God. And so oftentimes in my dorm room, those anxious thoughts and just that emptiness would come back 
because I lived on my own and I didn't really turn and talk to anybody. But what I learned in just the everyday from small group and Oasis was really to plug into my identity and what it meant to be a child of God. Um, and as I did that, like it allowed me to enter into more prayer and more powerful conversations with the Lord. And it was in those moments when I experienced like true peace and just true hope because I didn't have to be the one to hold it together. I learned quickly that I wasn't writing my own story, but the Lord was writing my story. And so I didn't need to have it all together all the time. I just needed to have God there with me. And so the biggest thing that I did for my anxiety in those moments was just stopping myself before I could really meditate on those thoughts and before they could really grow inside of me. I just stopped myself and forced myself out of that and asked God to come into it. And I would just sit in silence and just see God working because I knew that every time I invited Him into those moments, that there was a peace coming to fulfill me and that His love for me was greater than anything that was worldly. Like I wasn't going to fulfill myself through another busy schedule or through another club or class or major or anything like that. Like it all came because God's identity for me and what it meant to be a child of God. And so just knowing the power of prayer, I was able to slowly just let go of that anxiety and that worry and that emptiness because I knew what love was then and I still know what love is now. And although now like I'm not perfect, like I still have anxious thoughts, I just stop myself from meditating on them because I know at the end of the day that God is in control and that God has me more than anybody else. And so that's my message to you guys. Like, just make sure you know that you're not alone and that God loves you and desires a relationship with you. And here's the crazy part. Some of you out here are probably thinking I just hit like a bait and switch on you and that I prepped Ashley and I told her what to say and I shot, put her in front of a camera. But I actually asked Ashley a couple of weeks ago to, to shoot this video and she came to me and she said, what do you want me to say? What, what do you want me to tell, tell the people? Like, I just said, just tell them your story. I didn't tell her anything. And that's what she said. That is how the Spirit of God affirms and brings peace and truth and love. And Paul has taught it to us. Ashley has taught it to you. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful piece of text. And I pray that we would now, as we know it and we sit in it, we would bring it to you. And as we leave this place, God, this would become something that helps us to transform the thought patterns that we're, we've wrestled with. Maybe it's been years. Maybe it's been like our whole life we've wrestled with this. But God, tonight you bring truth. I pray that you would give people courage and boldness to fight this fight, God. I pray that you would speak a renewed sense of hope over them, that they are never alone, that you will never forsake them, that you will never leave them, God. That they have a community around them that wants so bad to support them. God, as we talk about mental health, would your peace fall? And through this series and your goodness and your spirit, transformation would come. Because so many people here tonight, what they need, God, is they need your spirit. So let us pray in that way. Would you answer that prayer? In Jesus' name, amen.